I'm Will, and this is my wife, Dallas. Hi. And this is Not the Beginning, a podcast where a longtime Wheel of Time fan and a Wheel of Time newbie read through each of the 14 books in this long series. Morning. This podcast may not be suitable for younger audiences, and will contain spoilers. If you've not read Robert Jordan's The Shadow Rising, please proceed with caution. This was a test, to see if you would break at the sight of a charge, perhaps to see how quickly you could react, or how your defenses are organized, or maybe something I've not thought of, but still a test. Now they see. He pointed at the sky where a lone raven winged over the field. A natural raven would have lighted to feast among the dead. The bird completed a last circle and peeled off toward the forest. The next attack will not come right away. I saw two or three trollocs reach. I saw two or three trollocs reach the forest, so word of this will spread. The half-men will have to make them remember they're more afraid of murderall than of dying. That attack will come, however, it will certainly be stronger than this. On this episode of Not the Beginning, we will dive in and discuss chapters 39 to 44 of The Shadow Rising. Note, I have not read past chapter 44, and Will is going to do his best not to bring in anything from the rest of The Shadow Rising or the next 10 books during our discussion. So as long as you've read through chapter 44, you should be good. If you haven't, I recommend pausing here and going to read. Chapter summaries, as always, from dragonmount.com. Elaine, Nynaeve, Tom, and Julin arrive in Tanchico and run into Bail Domon. Domon admits to becoming a smuggler and helps them find rooms in the city. After drinking too much wine, Elaine remembers Tom dandling her on his knee. Nynaeve looks for Egwene in Teleron Riyadh, and sees Asmodian trying to enter Roydian. Brigitte warns her off, and Nynaeve flees to the two rivers, where she is nearly killed by Slayer. Fayil reports that most of the farms have been emptied, the inhabitants going to Emmons Field. Gaul reports Trollocs approaching Perrin's position and suggests an ambush. Not long after Lord Luke takes his leave, the ambush is turned against Perrin's party. Perrin and Fayil gather the survivors. Perrin's party limps into the Tinker's camp, where they are welcomed by Ran and Illa and have their wounds treated. Perrin gets Fayil to admit that she is cousin to the Queen of Saldea and tells her about the wolves. Perrin visits the Waygate in Teleron Riyadh and finds it open. He plays cat and mouse with Slayer, who reminds him of Lan. Perrin's party returns to Emmons Field and finds it fortified, with a red wolf's head banner flying over it. Perrin has become a local hero and doesn't much care for it. He succumbs to delirium caused by his injuries, but is healed by Alana. Loyal and Gaul have gone to reseal the Waygate. Perrin gets out of bed despite Fael's protest. A party of 500 Trollocs attacks the village. They are repelled by archers led by Tam and exploding catapult stones courtesy of the Aes Sedai. All right, middle section. Stuff happens for a middle section, though. Yes, lots There's of some, stuff happens with Perrin. Lots of stuff happens with Perrin. He gets shot, he fights some stuff. Some stuff is fought near him. Yes. Runs into some tinkers. Yep. That's the episode, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, it's it's very much a middle section. Stuff's getting set up for, like, a final confrontation. Yeah. We clearly have more Trollocs coming, as evidenced by the quote. And it's being set up for a confrontation with the Black Aja again in Tenchiko. We know the Black Aja is there. Yep. Elaine and Nynaeve are there with Tom and Julian. Yep. And Elaine is nursing a hangover. Elaine is nursing a hangover. Let's start with the Elaine stuff because we pick up with them and they're not around for very long before we get into the parent stuff. Yeah. With with one of the most oddly smooth transitions where 
Nynaeve is running away from Slayer in the Two Rivers in Teleron Riyadh, and then it's like, oh, look, it's Perrin. Yeah. It's it's weird. Anyway, we get off the boat with Elaine and Nynaeve, right in Tenchiko. They say goodbye to the Seafolk, and something happens that I caught and you didn't, and I had never caught this before. <laughs> For some reason. Well, you didn't... I don't think you realized how gay this series was until you started reading it with me. Not this reread. Or not until this reread, rather. Which is why me not catching this is disappointing. I'm disappointed in myself. Yeah. So when they're saying goodbye, the windfinder of the ship, like, kisses her fingers and then, like... Puts them to Elaine's lips. Yeah, puts them on Elaine's lips. And Elaine does the same and notes that it's a gesture reserved for family or lovers. Elaine and this Windfinder definitely hooked up. 100%. And I'm so mad that I did not pick up on that. How, how did I catch this and you didn't? I don't know. I think it's I just... It's right there. I think the sad answer... It included the word lovers. I think the sad answer is that I'm just so used to queer baiting that I just... <laughs> not that this isn't sort of queer baiting, but it's... I feel like it's less queer baiting because... Like, it just wasn't going to happen. It is in the background. I don't know. Something about it seems less queer baby to me, but I am a straight man, so... Yeah, I just... I think I'm just so used to queer baiting that I just didn't pick up on it. That's fair. But it definitely happened. And it wasn't so overt. It's not like Perrin commenting on the beautiful eyes of Lan. Right. It's not Frozen Mountain Lakes level. And, like, I don't even know that I would have necessarily picked, on fro- picked up on Frozen Mountain Links if I hadn't just read a gay romance novel in which <laughs> a phrase similar is used to describe a love interest's eyes. To be fair, so, in, in, if I'm, like, ranking the gayness of events, which is a weird thing to be doing, but it's a podcast, so Frozen Mountain Links is, is up there. This is way above that. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because Perrin is just straight up straight. Yes. Elaine can have a little bit of bi as a treat. Actually, yeah. Elaine can have a lot of bi as her daily life. Yes. That is okay. That is okay. I'm down with Elaine being bi. She's, Especially... got, she's got a very different kind of bi energy than bicon Matt Cawthon. Matt has chaos bi energy. Yeah. He's got disaster bi. Elaine is not a disaster bi. She's very... She's just your regular... Like, Okay. She's like bi goals, whereas I don't necessarily want to be the type of bi that Matt is. Matt is Alex. Alex from uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue? Yes. And Elaine is Henry. Except but, bi, not gay. Right. But that type of energy. Oh, yeah, because Alex is 100% disaster a disaster bi. bi. Yeah. I think it's the ADHD, because Alex has undiagnosed ADHD. Does he? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That makes sense. Okay. It makes sense now that you've read it, though. I mean, it does. Is that, like, confirmed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like Casey McQuiston was like, yeah, he has undiagnosed ADHD if he didn't pick up on that. And I read that tweet, and I'm like, that's why I identify with Alex. Okay. Because it was going to be one thing if it was like, that's just what the fandom says. Casey McQuiston saying it, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, she wrote him with being an undiagnosed ADHD, which... 1,000% 1,000% tracks. I also would not be surprised if Matt has undiagnosed ADHD. It's hard to tell with Matt because Matt currently, his head is full of other people's memories. So I don't know if you could, 
I'm before maybe he did. I'm operating on Dragon Reborn Matt. <laughs> absolutely has ADHD. Dragon Reborn Matt had a bunch of holes in his mind though that weren't filled. So who, who knows that it's not just magic dementia? Nah, he it's has something, ADHD. Something's up. He has ADHD. Okay. If I one thousand percent in any modern AU I end up writing, Matt has ADHD is going to be a tag. <laughs> Matt has okay. Okay. Cool. Matt is the Alex of Oh, 100%. the wheel of time. Yeah. Yeah. In so many ways. Yeah. Anyway, we're in Tanchico with Elaine and Nynaeve. No, this is not a red, white, and royal blue podcast. Nope, we did that already. We already did that, so if you'd like to refer back to that episode. Yup. <laughs> Tom and Julian have a little bit of squabbles over Elaine and Nynaeve's plan, but they yep. eventually go with it because they're the quote-unquote Aes Sedai, even though they're not. Yeah. At... Julian doesn't know that they're not. Julian does not know that they're not. And Tom's just kind of playing along. Actually, does Julian know? I forget if they've told him or not. I don't think they have. Anyway, they're they're kind of annoyed with the plan that Egwene and Nynaeve have, which, you know, kind of fair. Like, on the one hand, Elaine and Nynaeve are the only people qualified to hunt the Black Aja right now. But also, their last plan got them kidnapped. I mean, because Julian... But, you know. But, but, no, because of the Black Asha. They just used him as a tool. They compelled him. They did, but... They, they, used, they literally mind-puppeted him into doing it. Yes. Julian, Julian has none of the blame for that. He was a factor, though. He was, but if it wasn't Julian, it would have been literally anybody else. That's probably fair. So, Julian has good reason to be skeptical of their plan. And Tom, I think, is being very, very protective of Elaine, who he sees kind of as a daughter. And we learn here that Elaine actually does remember it, but only when she's drunk. Well, and then, you know. And then promptly forgets it because she was drunk. Oh, I thought she remembered. She No, she remembered. Does she? Because she's like, ah, oh, crap. I, I did some things when I was drunk. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. She just plays it off to Tom like she doesn't remember. Yeah. Because why would she? <laughs> anyway, so Tanchiko's a whole different place. Uh, they immediately run into Bail Doman, who feels very guilty about leaving them in Falma. Yes. And tries to make it up to them. Yep, he helps them find a room. He's a smuggler now. Yep. So he's a pirate. Yep. He is. He is two-thirds of the way to lesbian pirate Gail Doman. Just is he, not. He is attracted to women and a pirate. He just he, sadly is not He is a just woman. a man. Which is, yeah, I actually, they could change him to lesbian pirate Gail Doman in the show and I'd be totally fine with it. They're not going to. They might cut him. He's a very cuttable character. Either they cut him or he's a lesbian pirate. <laughs> you won't be happy if it's just Bail Doman. Nope, Dutchman. I will not. I will look at Rafe Judkins and be like, why? Why? Why did you not make Bail Doman a lesbian? Very fair, I guess. I just want to know, who do I have to write to make that happen? Probably Rafe Judkins. I think he'd read that. He might. He'd read that letter. Who knows? If it got to him. Yeah. He is the showrunner for a very large show on Amazon. Or we have a Twitter campaign where we tweet at him. That's true. It's way too late for that, though. That's fair. Anyway, Bail Doman's there. He helps them get a room. He helps them get set up. He, he then gets... offers to help somehow. I don't... Yeah. It's part of him feeling guilty about leaving at Falma because he's like, I, I waited for as long as I could, but I had to get out of there. And they're like, yeah, we, we understand. You know, mm -hmm. help us now. <laughs> 
Tom interviews him on some Tanchico politics. Yeah, Tom and Julian both grill Bail Beaumont on what's going on in Tanchico. And they both go from very different angles. Yeah. Tom is going from the angle of how can I play the game of houses here? What information do I need in order to play the game of houses? Yeah, very, very much so. And there is a little bit of national politics at play here as well, where Bail Beaumont is from Ilion, Julian is from Tyr, Alieners and tier tyrants don't, they don't get along. They don't like each other. So every question Julian has to ask, he has to ask Tom to ask. Because he's just not answering. Because Bail Beaumont just basically treats Julian like he doesn't exist, which is weird. He do be ignoring him. He do be ignoring him. And Tom just kind of drops some of the questions too. Tom yeah. just like doesn't ask some of them. He yeah. asks some of them. And Julian's going for more of the like, you know, where what's the seedy underbelly of the city look like? How, who do I need to talk to to be able to try to find the Black Aja? Right. And, you know, Julian, chill. <laughs> that got you in some hot water last time. Yeah. Like, Tom's approach is very indirect, but probably the right approach. Because the Black Aja, especially the members that we've seen right now, have shown themselves to be very capable of finding out who's looking for them and utterly demolishing them. Yes. So just chill out, Julian. But he does not chill out, and he does find someone who has potentially seen the Black Aja, and he does report to Elaine and Nynaeve about this while Elaine is hungover. We'll yeah. get to the Elaine is drunk in a second. Yeah, Julian's but, approach is, once he like actually gets to where he needs to be asking questions, Julian's approach is really good. He just starts talking about women he knew. Yeah. And they just happen to match the description of the Black Aja. Yeah. And so he's talking about it and other people mention them to him without him asking, which is kind of brilliant. Yeah. Like, good job, Julian. And so he reports back to them and they come up with a plan that Julian and Tom are going to try to go investigate more rather yeah. than Elaine and Nynaeve. Right. Which, again, that's kind of the right choice. So, like, they will recognize you in an instant. They won't necessarily recognize right. us. We are going to be... And even from, a like, an omniscient perspective, it makes sense to send Tom... Tom more than Julian, because they, they probably have never seen Tom. But it makes sense to send non-channelers after them because they can literally sense women who can channel. Yeah. <laughs> like, they don't know how to hide it. They don't. Like, nobody knows how to hide that. So Nynaeve and Elaine looking around for them, they're going to get detected. Right. So sending some non-channelers. Channelers, yeah. It, here we've started to hit a frustrating thing in the Wheel of Time where very, very, very frequently people who can channel discount non-channelers as valuable people to have around. There are people who are better at it. There are people who are worse at it. We have some of the two... I would say we have one of the better people at it and one of the, somebody who's solidly in the middle. Elaine is really good at not discounting people who can channel. She's a queen. She or just did not discounting people who can't channel. Yes. She well, she's not a queen. She's a princess. So, and I guess suppose I guess technically she's daughter heir because there really isn't a princess role. That's it. It's a princess. She's a princess. So, she knows that you can't just rely on the one power. You have to rely on other things. Right. Nynaeve is solidly in the middle. She was a wisdom. She knows how to treat people's, like, illnesses and injuries without using the one power. She respects Lan as a warrior. But now that she's learning how to channel, she's definitely falling into this trap of, well, what are you going to do that I can't do? I don't think that's because... I don't think that's because of channeling. Because she feels that way towards uh, Moraine as well. 
Oh, no, definitely. I think and it's, that's, why... that's, a, that's a naive, I, she'd feel that way even if she couldn't channel. Definitely. And, and that's so why I, don't, I, I wouldn't think... even say that that puts her in the middle. I think that doesn't put her on that scale because she just doesn't trust anyone who's not her. I think that's why she is in the middle because adding channeling onto that, it becomes, oh, I can channel. I'm going to be better Except at whatever she you can't do. channel. True. Which is also why I don't think that she's in the middle. That's fair. She just doesn't trust anyone that's not her. That is true. Maybe you're right, at least at the moment. We can revisit it when she can channel on command. Yeah, but right now, I don't really think that she's really on the scale because she doesn't trust anyone that's not her. That's fair. And, you know, in all like, fairness to Nynaeve, oftentimes she is going to be better at stuff. Because she sometimes doesn't trust either Elaine or Egwene to do things either. And they can channel on command. Yeah. And she can't. Well, some of that is, I think, that Nynaeve, and, and, well, some of it is definitely, and we saw a lot of this in The Dragon Reborn, is Nynaeve doesn't think of Egwene as an equal. And so she probably also doesn't think of Elaine as an equal. More so because she didn't watch Elaine grow up. Right. Elaine is definitely closer to Nynaeve's level in Nynaeve's eyes than Egwene is, but both are still children. Yeah. Which... Come on, Nynaeve, you're all accepted now. Like, you're not a wisdom. You're an accepted of the tower, and they are accepted of the tower. And I get it. I, I do get it a little bit with Egwene, because she did watch Egwene grow up. It's a hard thing to overcome. Elaine, yeah, she just needs to get over it, because, like, they are both accepted. They met as accepted. Elaine is daughter heir. Right. She, honestly, Elaine is more capable than Nynaeve in that regard. Yeah, I think there are definitely a large number of areas where Elaine is more capable than Nynaeve. Of healing. Nobody is ever going to be as capable as Nynaeve at healing. Because he, Nynaeve can use, even when she, like, she's able to heal without the one power. Right. And he, when she is able to use the one power, she can kind of use a combination. Like, yeah. And she did. She does something else odd, which is she uses, and we talked about this a very small amount in The Dragon Reborn when they're on their way to Tyr. Nynaeve uses all five powers when healing, which is pretty rare. I don't think we talked about well, it'll come up. Okay. Nynaeve is very good at healing, and she is a wilder, so she has a very unorthodox way of doing it. And I think that is generally right now the like big difference between Nynaeve and Elaine, where Nynaeve is Nynaeve's doing things the way that she thinks is best, which may or may not be how she was taught. And Elaine was taught a large number of things and relies on her teaching. Yeah. So... We saw that really well when they were getting on the ship with the Windfinders, where Elaine was trying to be, like, reserved and trying to, like, ease into it, because that's how her mother taught her to do it, which is kind of an odd thing, given who Morghese is, but... There are times to be reserved. Right. Elaine is trying to be diplomatic, and Nynaeve is like, hey, we need a boat. Let us us get on this boat. Yeah. She's kind of just charging in. Yeah. Nynaeve is a bull in a china shop. Very much so. Which... Explains why Lan is attracted to her. Yeah, yeah, it does. One hundred percent. There are two important things that happen after they run into Beldomon. Elaine gets drunk. She Let's does. Let's talk about that one first. She goes into the common room and she like is watching Tom perform his Gleeman routine. And she has one cup of wine. But someone keeps filling it. Yep. It's it's like that in annoying thing sometimes when you're like at a restaurant and you're like not even a quarter of the way into your glass of water and they just keep refilling it and so you're like how many glasses of water have i had like you don't know you don't know i remember 
one time. This is not a Wheel of Time thing at all. It's a random tangent because that's the podcast. One time when I was a child, an Austin Grill opened up downtown. Mm-hmm. We went to the Austin Grill like the weekend it opened. And I swear the servers there were so aggressive about giving you new drinks that they would just give you a new cup. They wouldn't take your old cup. They would give you a brand new cup the moment you reached like 75% of the way or 25% of the way through your original cup. So we ended up with like 30 cups on the table between four of us. Some of them still had like half a drink left. More than one per person had like half a drink left. There was more liquid there than we could have possibly consumed. And that was Elaine's time in the tavern. That was. Bringing it back. Because the, the like, cute serving boy just kept topping her off. Yep. And, and so she's like, how did this happen? I only had one cup of wine. And look, it's still full. How am I? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And being drunk, like, set off some, I guess, like, core memories for Elaine. Because she is there and she's listening to Tom. And Tom is reciting the great hunt for the horn in common, the plain chant. And she, in the back of her mind, remembers, starts to remember Tom reciting it in high chant, which is just like a dialect. And this kind of like sends her on a spiral, especially when Tom starts talking to her. Yeah. Where she's like, I used to sit on your knees and do this. And she would like tug his, she like tugged his mustache. Again. Bold. She did this on the boat, too, she when did. they got on the boat. She just keeps tugging his mustache, which is hilarious to me. Yep. And basically, she is, like, angry at Tom for leaving. I, I mean... Think, I think she's just drunk. She's just drunk, but also, like, that unlocked probably a childhood her who was mad at him for leaving. Yeah. Because, like, how... She's a... She was a toddler. How is she supposed to understand, like, Tom and my mom broke up, so now he's got to go? Right. Like... Especially because given the timeline, Tom may have been the first, like, relationship Morghese was in after Terengale died. Yeah. So, in a lot of ways, for a significant period of time, Tom was her father figure. Yeah. Which is basically his stepdad. How did we get here? I know how we got here. It's the Wheel of Time. But that's a crazy coincidence. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Tom is basically her stepdad. Yeah. And he disappeared. So, I, I, like... I get it. Her being drunk unlocks that and I understand even current her being like why did I'm mad at you I didn't know I was mad at you but now that I'm remembering that I was mad at you I'm mad at you again yeah and Tom is very much like you don't understand what happened you were a child and I you know I think this is just kind of a shitty situation all around where like there's no way Elaine understands what happened but I think her anger is valid yeah and he sort of assuages her a little She's bit. She's drunk. But... It's not the right time to address it. No. I feel like if he, if she wasn't drunk, he would. Yeah. Because it's Tom, right? But way back in book one, when it was time to address some stuff with Rand. He did. He did. He talked about Owen. Yeah. So Elaine gets drunk <laughs> and gets angry at Tom. She tugs his mustache and then she insults her mother in a very teenager moment and so he just who, slaps her he ba- she's basically like who hasn't my mother slept with <laughs> which i mean i guess you can make that joke about your own mother and i guess tom will slap you yeah he does and then she's drunk and then she starts to cry and so he just like pulls her in and he like pets her hair and then slings her over his shoulder and then takes her back to bed yep tom's a good guy yeah 
Tom is a solid. good stepdad. Tom is a solid guy. I am all for stepdad Tom. Stepdad Tom. is. Are you still all for stepdad Tom with hot Tom? Yes. Okay. He just is now Dilf. Dilf. Step Dilf. Step daddy. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. No. Oh. Oh. I feel very uncomfortable with that. And I said it. Okay, taking a hard turn now. Nynaeve goes to tell her on Riyadh. Well... So she goes back to the room and Nynaeve helps her sober up a little bit in a very funny scene. Yes. <laughs> she's just like, she's like, just come over here. Look in this I water. Have to Dunk. Show you. Yeah. <laughs> Dunks her head in the underwater yep. to wake her up because she's like, I got to go to tell her on Riyadh. I need you to be here to pull me out because I'm not very good at pulling myself out. Yeah. And so she goes to tell her on Riyadh and witnesses Asmodian. Who's Asmodian? He is one of the Forsaken. Okay. Because I was, I just. My notes here say, sees a man in a blue coat, and then Brigitte, and then yes. a man that looks like Lan. Also, speaking of Lan, Elaine is not the only one who accidentally dresses in more revealing clothing in nope. Teleron Riyadh when she thinks of her man. No. Nope. Because Nynaeve does so as well. Everybody does it, except for the wise ones, because they have enough control over themselves. Yes. But yeah. She goes to Teleron Riyadh, runs around, gets shot by Slayer. And finds a man who looks like Lan, yep. who is Slayer. Mm-hmm. And that plays very interestingly. Like, I don't... I think I'm still on Luke is Slayer. Uh-huh. Even though he doesn't... He doesn't look like Lan. He doesn't look like Lan. He but claims to be related to the Andoran nobles. He claims he to have does, a claim to the Andoran throne. But I just... I can't get around the Perrin thinking he that Slayer smells like Luke. Okay. So maybe Luke isn't specifically Slayer, but if Slayer is like a type of person... You think Luke is also that type of person? Yes. I don't necessarily think they're the same person, but I think they're connected somehow. Because just like... Because later in the dream, when Perrin encounters Slayer, he says it smells familiar. Yeah. And he said like the same description of cold, inhuman, doesn't feel like it belongs. And he says that about Luke, and he says that about Slayer. They're the only two things he said something about. Yes. Okay. And still, Luke did point, like, look at Perrin when he first met him, like he looked familiar. Okay. So either Luke is Slayer, and there's some sort of weird face thing going on. It is the dream world. It's the dream world. He (laughs) could be putting on a different face, or maybe he's putting on a different face in the real world. I don't know. Or maybe he can channel. Maybe Luke's one of the Forsaken. It's possible. Who knows? But I do. You do. That's the point of the podcast. <laughs> but yeah. It, so the man in the blue coat that Nynaeve sees is that. It was Asmodian. Asmodian. Okay. I, I didn't think it was named in the section. It wasn't. I, I just I, saw. Yeah. Man this in is blue another coat. instance of uh, Dragon Mount naming a character a little early. It's not really consequential. No, it's just a Forsaken. Yeah. It's not like an Amazon level. Like, why did you name a Shamayel? <sighs> or Rand's mom. Or Rand's mom. Yeah. You could have just given her her, her Aiel name. Yep. Like if, if you didn't know that, we still wouldn't know Shile is Tigraine. Yeah, I still wouldn't. Yep. If they just named her Shile. Yep. But no, because Amazon. Name it. Name it, Jeff. Name it. Anyway, Nynaeve gets shot at by Slayer and wakes up right before getting hit. Yeah. Which is very lucky for her because she would have died. Well, she does get. She gets hurt. Hurt. Not badly. 
but because she manages to, to slightly dive out of the way and wake up at the same time, so yeah. it kind of grazes her arm yep. as she's waking up. And uh, then we have one of the smoothest segues in the Wheel of Time, where we switch to Perrin. I don't really think it was all that smooth. I mean, it was as smooth as it can be. Because it wasn't, I mean, no, because it wasn't like Nynaeve was in the dream and then Perrin was in the dream. It was a whole bunch of Perrin stuff and then he has a dream way later. Yeah. So I don't think it was all that smooth. It was just a, it was a normal POV shift. Okay. Anyway, Perrin's at the farm where they were last time. I thought he was in his family's farm because they were talking about the apple blossoms. Oh, yeah, he was. He was at his family's farm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of sort of recovering from the White Cloak raid. And they had been hunting Trollocs for yeah. a, a while. Yeah. There's a little bit of a time jump here, which makes sense because Elaine and Nynaeve had to take quite a while to get to Tenshiko, even on a Windfinder yeah. helmed ship. So, yeah, he's at the Ibarra farm. Uh, he's having some sad boy hours about his family all being dead. Yep. Because, yeah, yeah. that's what you do. And Fael and Luke show up. And that's when we get the Luke smells cold separate and like he has no humanity. Yep. Uh, Fael has some news from Emmons Field, which is that everybody's there. Yeah. Like it's it's a party in Emmons Field and the Trollocs aren't invited. Oh, the other thing that makes me think that Luke might be um, Slayer is I think in his dream later, they call him Golden Eyes, which is the... The term, thing that the, which is the thing that Luke says the Emmons Fielders have started to call him. Yes. Perrin Golden Eyes Hunter of Trollocs. Yes. So, like, how does Slayer know that that is his new title? That's fair. That's a fair point. The other... there, There's a lot of suspicion getting thrown around here. Some of it is very clearly warranted in, in Luke's direction. Yep. Some of it is questionably warranted. Fael is paying attention to the Aes Sedai. She says that Alana has disappeared twice. Actually, that was... um. I feel like it was not... No, it was... Fayil was giving a message from Loyal. Yeah. And they're just suspicious of Alana because Varen told them to be suspicious of Alana. Yeah. She's not really done anything specifically suspicious. I'm, I'm like a little bit suspicious of Alana, but that's just because the POV characters that we've met her right. with are also suspicious. Yeah. So like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so we learned that uh, the Two Rivers folk are calling Perrin... Lord Perrin. Golden Eyes. Yeah. Hunter of Trollocs. Yep. Later we find out that they've given him a sigil and a flag. Yes, which, you know, sure. He's basically Lord of the Two Rivers. He d- he congregated them all into a village. Yep. And he's like, I don't want to be a lord. The Two Rivers doesn't have lords. It's like, dude, you created this well, for yourself. They have a lord now. Yeah, and it is you. And like, you're in love with who we learned to be a cousin to the Queen of Saldea. Yep. She is second in line. She, no, yeah, I think. Because Tenobia, the queen of Saldea, has no children. And so her father is... Uh, it's not her father, it's her uncle. That is the... Fael's father is the queen's uncle mm-hmm. and is next in line. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Like, Fael's father is next in line yes. for the queen because she has no children. Right. So Perrin, in his haste to avoid lords and all such things, fell in love. With a future queen. Yeah, with a future queen. Pretty much. And she's like, can you pretend, like, when they're having a conversation about this later, she's like, can you just, like, pretend to be king of the wolves? Because I think it would go over a lot better with my parents if you called yourself that. Not her parents. Her mother. Her mother. Her father. He's like, she's like, he's gonna he's yeah, gonna like you. In, in you, this you conversation. You Trollocs. You're... In this conversation, he's like, oh my god, I'm not good enough to be with you. And... 
she like he also tells her about the wolves and she's like, yeah, my father would like that. Like, he thinks that we're growing too soft. So, yeah, he would like you. But can you just, like, call yourself King of the Wolves to my mom? Because I think she, I think she, that would go over a little bit better. Yep. And honestly, like, the king, the wolves don't have a king. No. But I think if you went into the dream world and you talked to his wolf friend, they would Hopper, be... Hopper would be like, yeah, I guess you can call yourself the king just to, as a lie to your, as a lie to your in-laws. The wolves Like, you can lie be... to your in-laws. It's fine. I think Hopper would be like. The wolves would be entirely unfamiliar with the concept of a king. They would. And so they're like, you're just lying to your in-laws? Yeah, sure. Call yourself whatever you need. Yeah. Hopper is yeah. a bro. Hopper would be behind him lying to his in-laws yeah. is what I'm saying. There are some very nice Fael and Perrin moments there here. There are. It's it's nice that, and, and I wish I could say that this is the rest of the, the Wheel of Time for Perrin and Fael, but it's nice that we're kind of past the, like oil and water phase. There, It's still grumpy sunshine, but in the best way. Yeah. It's the good grumpy sunshine where he's still grumpy and she's still poking fun at him, but it's clearly that in a loving way, and he knows right. that it's in a loving way, so he's still like, grumble, grumble, yeah. I love you. We, we get a straight up admission of love. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, why do you like me? She's like, the word is love, but okay. Yeah. Which is exactly how I imagined her saying it, too. Yeah. She's not being all gushy and romantic about it. He's like, why no. did you like just, like, this random guy from the two rivers? The word uh, is love, parent. And this is when he's, like, <laughs> laid up in the wine spring when they get back to Emmonsfield. Yeah. He's, like, just been healed by Alada, and he's incredibly weak, and they're having this conversation. It's just, it's a nice moment. Yeah, it's a nice moment. Yeah. And there's another nice moment later when they're, like, talking about the Tinkers and something about the Tinkers dancing. And she's just like, you've seen the Tinkers dance? Well, I can dance better. And he's like, can you? (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, she says something about the purpose of the dance is to, like, draw attention and whatnot. And he's like, oh, then it's not really necessary because my heart is with you. (laughs) And parents got game. Parents got some game. And she's just kind of like, I'm still going to do it anyway. Yep. (laughs) Fair. He's like, okay. No. You gotta do special things for your significant other. Yeah. Yeah. At notably, Perrin, at no point in this section does Perrin think that Rand or Matt would be able to handle the situation better. No. He has stopped with the... For now. Matt and Rand know how to handle women better. For now. Honestly, I think out of the three, Perrin is the best with women. Yeah. Perrin's definitely... Perrin is the best at being in a relationship. Yes. Matt is the best at hooking up. And Rand is the Dragon Reborn. Yeah. <laughs> Perrin is more suave than Rand. I feel like with, in terms of being in a relationship, it's Perrin, then Rand, then Matt. Yeah, I, I agree. Rand has puppy energy, so it's kind of endearing. Rand, or Perrin is just a cinnamon roll. Yes. So he has, like, I care a lot energy. And Matt has George Clooney energy. In which he's not going to settle down for a long-ass time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But when he does, it's going to be someone very, very gorgeous, and you can't even (sighs) fault it. You can't even fault him for settling down, because George Clooney's wife can get it. I have not recently seen a picture of George Clooney's wife, so I have no idea what she looks like. I haven't really either. I just know she can get it. Sure. 
in the vague memory of like when of the <laughs> news articles when the vague like, memory of George Clooney's wife, whose name I cannot remember. Neither can I. And I just know back when those articles were like George Clooney settling down, and I looked at the article and I looked at her. I'm like, yeah, I'd settle down too. I really should have realized I was by a lot earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But you know, it is what it is. It is. Anyway. There are some Trolloc attacks that happen that we need to talk about. Yeah, I guess it, we can't just talk about Perrin and Fail. No, well, we could, but we should talk about the other things that happen. Yeah. They have been kind of roaming the countryside hunting down these Trollocs. And Gaul has been scouting for them. And when they're at the Ibarra farm, Gaul runs up and he says, there's a group of Trollocs coming. Let's go, let's go ambush them. Yeah. Luke rides off. They go set up an ambush, and then they get ambushed. So yep. it's traps in traps. Yep. It is indeed a trap. Yep. They get kind of fucked up. 27 of them die. Perrin gets real badly hurt. Yeah, he gets hit in the ribs with a spiky arrow, so they can't, the tinkers can't pull it out. Right. They're just like, we can try to make sure you don't get an infection and die. And so yeah. that's what they do. Yep. And they do a good job because he does not get an infection and die. Nope. And they Well, it... He probably didn't get an infection. I think Alana said that he did have one. It just wasn't as severe. She's like, it's a good thing they did whatever they did because you would have died before you got to me. Right. So, like, Like they did what they could. He still got hit with a barbed arrow, a barbed trollic arrow. Barbed, that's the word that I was looking for. And the last time we saw somebody get hit with a trollic weapon and we spent any time around them was Tam way back in book one. And shit was bad. He had... Perrin isn't hallucinating and stuff, really. No, but he got to treat it. And he's also younger and Taviran. True. <laughs> yeah. But they're fighting. He rips some Trollocs apart. He does. And, and he gets some Murdral, too. Yeah. He's But he he's, has an arrow in his side, so the Murdral's about to kill him. And then Ivan comes and kills it. Yep. He gets saved by the warder. By Alana's warder. Yep. It's not Tomas. Nope. Although that Tomas. would have been great. I mean, anything with Tomas would be great. Yes. Justice for Tomas. Tomas does comment at the second battle about their defenses and stuff. Yes. The quote from this episode was Tomas. Yeah. He speaks. He does. Again. Again. He has lots of lines in this book. He has lots of words. Tomas. So I don't know how you read it, but it definitely seems like Luke set him up. Yeah. Like this is a point very solidly in the Luke is working with the Trolloc column. Yeah. Because he's also going around trying to just like undermine whatever Perrin is doing. Well, because he's like, you should really go back to Emmons Field. Yeah. So he's like clearly like he knows that there's going to be an ambush and he wants Perrin to be there. Yeah. But. And before this, it could have all been like jealousy or like I'm a lord, you're not. It, it could have gone either way. But, like, it just he's lying because he says that he could be king of Andor. And Perrin's just like, They're they have queens. Andor. What right. are you talking about? Who do you, who, do you think I'm dumb? I'm not that dumb. Right. Like. And all the two rivers people are like, what? You could be king of Andor? You know that? Yeah. They're like, oh, we just believed him. And he's like, no. That's not how that works. One, you're Andoran. <laughs> By the way. Two, you can't ever have a king. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's an ambush, and then they run into the Tinkers, who are still disappointed. <laughs> but they do help. They help they all do. the two rivers people. They they get them bandaged up. They give a they give a salve to Perrin to make sure he doesn't instantly die from an infection. Fael is very impressed that he knows the way of the Tinkers. Because yep. he does the whole exchange. And uh-huh. she's like, Who are you? <laughs> yep. 
we see Aram again, and he asks about Egwene, and Perrin's just like, I am injured. Go the fuck away. <laughs> fuck off, Aram. <laughs> I do not care about you enough to have this conversation. Right. <laughs> it's like kind of fair. Yeah. He just never liked Aram. Yeah. And then here is where, I, I got it confused before, this is where Perrin actually tells Fael about the wolves. Yes. Uh, after Fael like, basically has to, like, hold him down. She's, like, putting her entire weight on him to hold him down while Illa is treating him. Yep. And then she tells him about her backstory, and yep. he tells her about the wolves, and she tricks him into drinking some medicine. Yep. Good job, Fael. <laughs> Good job, Fael. And then he has a dream in which he is dressed as a blacksmith, and he wants the axe. Yeah. Which is... Which is odd, but I think he's starting to believe that he needs to kill. He needs to wield the axe to protect the two rivers. Yeah. Fair. You could do that with a warhammer, but fair. Yeah. He sees that the waygate is open. Yep. He tries to go into the waygate, which feels like a... Like, even though it didn't work, that feels like such a bad fucking idea. Yeah. Like, I do not want to encounter the Black Wind. I really really do not want to encounter the Black Wind in Teleron Riyadh. No. Absolutely not. But he's, yeah, he tries to go in so that he can try to lock it from the outside again, which, again, is a point in Luke's being, Luke being evil column, because, like, who opened it? It wasn't one of the Two Rivers people? That's true. I mean, it could be any arbitrary dark friend. Or Luke. Or Luke. Slash Slayer, maybe. Maybe. He's definitely evil. Luke is evil, may or may not be Slayer. At least, at a minimum, probably a dark friend. Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. He also, since he took that medicine from Fael slash Illa, he can't wake himself up. So he's stuck. Well, originally he's stuck in Teleron Riyadh, which is bad because Slayer shows up. And then he does get at least get himself out of Teleron Riyadh, but he's like, I'm still asleep. It's a normal dream. Yeah. Which introduces this concept of there's the dream world and then there's dreams and people who can enter the dream world it, the dream world is basically lucid dreaming. Yeah. And there's a difference between fully doing it and doing it in your own dream, which is interesting. I like that. Yeah. I like that there's a difference. So then he ends up actually waking up. Yeah. And they travel back to Emmons Field. Fael ended up mending his coat because he said, he like, the tinkers bring him his clothes and he's like, oh, you did a nice job fixing it. And they're like, actually, it was Fael. And he's like, she said she wasn't going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, that probably is two things. One, Fael just wants to be nice because he got hurt. Yeah. And two, she knows that they're going back to Emmons Field and she's a lady and she knows how important appearances are, which is, he's starting to learn that too, which is why he spends so much time on his horse, even though he feels like one of the other injured people should get on the horse. I mean, she also is like, you are injured. If yeah. you say the injured need horses, that includes that you. you. <laughs> right. But it also provides this image of Perrin Golden Eyes. Yeah. Like Hunter of Trollocs, protector of the two rivers. Because when the two rivers is attacked by Trollocs again, he is He's on there. his horse. He's there. And she's like, you can command the forces from your horse. Right. That is what generals do. And he's like, I'm not a general. And she's like... Yes, but this is the only way I'm going to let you do this. So just get on the damn horse. Right. And act as a he figurehead. Wants, he wants to go and fight. And she's she knows that she's going to lose that fight. And instead is like, you can go. You can't fight. You can just be there. And she's like, you will be a liability to the people you're trying to protect if you try to fight. Right. So just 
be there as like an inspiration and to command forces. Yeah. Be and if and if he's on a horse, he can see higher up. So yep. Like you got a better vantage point. You know, like you got things that you can do. Yeah. When they arrive at the two rivers, well, they're in the two rivers. When they ride up at Emmons Field, he ba- he passes right out. Yeah. Uh, they have well, to kind of scramble they to talk find... for a while. He does have a conversation. With a bunch of people in in the inn. Yeah, about the flag mostly and, and where he's been. Yeah, he talks to like some old friends because they're like, where have you been? You've been to like, you've been to Camelin? Yeah. What? Oh my God, you've been to the Borderlands? What? You've and been all over the place. And he's just like, I need to do things. And he wants to like tell the family of the 27 people who died. And Fahil's just like, sit no. down. Right. And then he passes out. And then Alana's like, ooh, this is not going to be fun for you. And then he passes out. Yeah. And then he wakes up and that's when the Trollocs are attacking. We we see some cool stuff from the Aes Sedai. We catapult bombs. Yeah. One, the Two Rivers people built catapults and Perrin's like, where did, how do we know how to do this? And... Either Tomas or Ivan is just like, your builders, once they saw the schematics, were like, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, they're two rivers people. They know how to do shit. They just have never seen them before. So once we drew a picture for them, they're like, oh, yeah, we can figure that out. Right. And Perrin, and during the fight, Perrin is standing there, like, confused as to what the Aes and I are doing to the rocks. And then he sees them explode. They launch into the Trollocs and explode. They created bombs. Yeah. Like, good shit. Yeah. It helps that Alana is Green Aja. Yeah. Although something tells me Varen knows some weird shit too. Well, because she's, I, I feel like in terms of battle fare, Green Aja is obviously. The Battle Aja. It's the Battle Aja. But a second tier would probably be the Brown Aja because they read a lot of books, so they'd have a lot of ideas. They wouldn't necessarily be able to execute them well, I but think like. It's... They've read a lot of books, so they might be like, oh, I read this thing. Something exploded. Can you figure out how to do that? And then the green eyes would be like, yeah, I got it from there. I think it's greens, and then the second tier is probably about evenly browns, blues, reds. They all have different needs to know how to fight things, but they all, or the browns really don't have a need to fight things. They just learn it. The blues sometimes have a need. They're like the questing Asha. So sometimes they might just be involved in a battle that they have to participate in. They're the ones who are most likely to find Trollocs out in the world. Yes. My main point is, I think, in terms of being able to wage large-scale warfare, Browns would probably be, like, commanding commanding troops and figuring out large-scale, like... Browns are almost certainly better tacticians. That's the words that I was trying to find. Thank you. They are better at... Yeah, but I think the blues and the reds have a solid argument to be made for combat effectiveness as second tier. Yes. Alongside but the as, browns. A, but as a tactician, right. I feel like it's green, brown. Probably brown, blue. Like, but a little bit lower. Yeah, well, I think the browns have like a strong cluster with like some average, some like outliers. Blues have a wider range, but like every blue probably has some knowledge of tactics. Yeah. Because that's kind of, that's what they do. And they're, well, that and they're spies. But they, yeah, and that's what it makes me think on a smaller scale, because they're spies. Okay. They'd be, like, infiltration type thing. Yeah. Like, extraction team, rather than... Okay. And the Browns, I feel like they'd just be able to be better tacticians because they've read all the books, and so they know what's worked in the past, because, like, they've read a bunch of history books, so... Like, well, they did this. The ones this. that have read history, those histories. 
Yes. It, that's why I think the Browns that are good at it are probably good at it, but a lot of Browns probably aren't because, you know, who's to say they weren't reading, like, a history of Tyron trading? True. Like, history is a big topic, like. not just military history. But Varen, I feel like, would get into... Varen also has ADHD, and I feel like she would get into some weird-ass research holes. She'd, she already has. She is a person... It's not like... She's not a researcher... Like, all the Browns are researchers, yeah. but not all of them have ADHD. But I feel like Varen does, because I feel like she'd huh. hyper-focus on, like, this really weird detail and know a whole lot about it. Yeah. And the rest of the Browns look at her like, why are you reading that? That's not what... Okay, Varen, fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Reds, I feel like, are... Maybe the Reds are third, but the Reds are not ineffective because they basically train to get to men who can channel. And as we've seen... Sometimes men who can channel raise armies around themselves. Yes. And Reds probably have to learn how to deal with at least some of the army. Yeah. So, like, they, they don't, they're probably not useless. No. And no I said I is useless, but... I just feel like if I... If you have to have two Aja there to help I'd rather the Trolloc attack... I'd rather have a green and a blue, not a green and a brown. Hmm. A blue is more likely to know how to do combat and healing. That is fair. A brown is... More likely to know only one and maybe none. If it's just like an, a random green and a random brown, your best bet is probably linking the green and brown in a circle. Yeah. Whereas with a green and a blue, they probably are both relatively effective on their own. Point, though, Varen probably has some weird-ass ideas that are very effective yes. because it's Varen. Yes, that's true. I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if, can we make things explode, was Varen's idea. <laughs> <laughs> if Alana didn't already know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know what we should do? We should make things explode. Yep. She's got, like, crazy scientist vibes. Is that how distantly related for Varen is that from kooky ant vibes? I feel like they're kind of linked that with the grandma academia. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The other thing we get to see in this battle, although not fully because catapult bombs, is the effectiveness of a full contingent of Two Rivers archers. Yes. Because they're, they like let a couple go early and Tam reprimands the people who shoot them because Tam's in charge of the archers, which, yep. yeah, aside from he does, the like, warders he there. He gets some information from Perrin and then he's like, all right, I'm going to do that thing. And then he is now in command. Right. Uh, but they're shooting, tro- they're shooting large amounts of Trollocs down from like three, four hundred paces away, which is yeah. a good distance. Yep. So they're in relatively good shape at the moment. It was 500 Trollocs. None of them got to the barricades. Nope. Tomas, it does warn them that it was a test and that lots more are coming. And they are because at the end of the chapter, they see some coming from the other direction. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, Tomas is like, this may have been a test. They won't be coming soon. No, they're, they're right behind yeah, us. They're right, there. they're right behind us. Yeah, cool. The other thing we should note is that Loyal and Gaul have gone off to close the Waygate, to kill the Waygate. Yeah, Loyal feels really bad. Yeah. He's going to remove the leaves. And if you remove the leaves, they will wither and die. And the only way to get the Waygate back would be to get new leaves from... Yeah. He says there's something, there's like an amulet that they could bring and sing more leaves into existence, or probably an ice die could cut a hole in it. Yeah, but he's like, nope, I'm killing it. Right. So that's going to happen. I would like... They're in some danger. They are. There are a lot of trollocs. There are a lot of trollocs. coming through there. I would like 
to see a Gaul and Loyal Adventure, I feel like that'd be a fun little one shot. Yeah. Like it would be. A, like a five minute short. Yeah. Like if this, you know. Yeah. One thing that we haven't really discussed, because there's not a whole bunch to discuss, is how many Trollocs and Merdral are they losing to the ways to get at the two rivers? Because the Black Wind is drawn to anything living. Large numbers of living things draw it more, and it seems to be even more drawn to Shadow Spawn. Yeah, and that's a comment that I think it was Tomas was making as well. Like they're committing a lot of forces here. Yeah, and they—if this is how many they have—I can't imagine how many they started with. Right. Because, like, if they managed to get this many through the ways, yeah, or they've been doing this for a very long time, but it's not likely. Right. It's hard to control Trollocs. So, like. He's like, yeah, you could probably do, like, ten at a time and all ten would survive, but how likely is that that they actually do that? Right. Or they're just kind of storming away gate and hoping for the best. Yeah. And it seems like that's what they're doing. They have a lot of them because it was 500 Tarleks and there are already a group coming. Which has looked to be another. And Perrin and company have been roaming the countryside killing Trollocs yep. already. There are a lot of Trollocs in the Two Rivers. So many. It's not a good time. I don't know. I still don't necessarily know why the Two Rivers. Because that's where the Taviran are from. Yeah, I just, like, seems like a risky gambit to maybe get Rand to show up. They pulled Perrin. Perrin's still Taviran. Yeah, but they want Rand. That's true. It's the it's the shadow. The Trolloc lives aren't important to them. That's true. They can just breed more. I don't want to know what that looks like. Neither do I. Especially because Murdral are Trolloc offshoots. They're like... They're like genetic offshoots of Trollocs. Like a Trolloc, I guess a a female Trolloc gives birth and sometimes it's a Murdral. That's weird. Like a calico cat? Kind of, (laughs) yeah. It's weird. weird, That was a weird analogy that I just pulled out. It was. But yeah. That's weird. Yeah, it is. I don't want to think about female Trollocs giving birth. No. Instead, let's do recurring segments. Yeah, let's do that. Weird prophetic auras. I don't really think there were any updates. None for this section. The next chapter is called The Tinker's Sword. Yep. And I get, like, I feel like I remember Perrin having something about a broken crown. So I don't know if we're starting to get towards when that might be. We definitely are. Because, like, he's starting to be, like... He's starting to it's, elevate his station unintentionally. It's not necessary. Well, yes, he's starting to elevate his station unintentionally. But we have not learned. There's a, a bit of information that we learn that makes it very obvious. What that is. What that is. But we learned that Fael is in line for a throne. So, like, we're, I'm starting to get hints at maybe we'll figure out what this is soon. Yeah. Yep. Ship updates. They got off of one. They do get off of one. Elaine and the Windfinder. Yep. Lesbian ship shenanigans. Lesbian ship shenanigans. Yeah. Any others other than Perrin and Fael moments? Perrin and Fael moments are great. Yeah. Do they have a ship name? I don't know why I'm asking you. I feel like Farron. Farron. I feel like that. Yeah, we've said Farron before. Yeah. And I did try to Google it in a way that would not reveal spoilers, and I did not find anything. Okay. So I... The problem with that, I don't think that there is a big enough fandom for the Wheel of Time. To have individual ship names aside from Laneve. And Soiree. And that's why I think Farron, because it's not yeah. like, they they would just do the name combo thing. Yeah. In opposed to, like, Wolfstar. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Favorite moments. The word is love, Perrin. That's good. It's not the Wolf King thing. 
No, I mean, just that whole scene, but specifically just the word is love, but okay. Yeah. Okay. Yours? Mine, it's hard to pick one out of this section because it's all, it's all very, it's a very even section. I think it is the Trolloc attack at the end when we're kind of seeing the emergence of the two rivers as a cohesive place. Okay. Right? Like, they're they're organized, they're able to defend themselves with the help of the Aes Sedai, but they are defending themselves as, like, we're the two rivers, fuck off Trollocs. And I think part of that also has to do with Tam, because he was a soldier. Yeah, so I think the combination of the Aes Sedai being there and Tam is like, okay, I guess I gotta reveal that I know this knowledge kind of right, thing. Right, right. Yeah. Not a huge number of standout moments, but that's one of them. This was chapters 39 through 44 of The Shadow Rising. Next episode, we will be covering chapters 45 through 48. Bye. Bye.